who the mystery XXX person is that's going to read the Bible. The person that I had hoped to have come up couldn't make it today, so it's still XXX. It's just going to be me. Surprise. Turn in your Bibles. We'll start in Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35, right after Israel has escaped Egypt, they're at the mountain, they got the law, God is going to give them instruction on how to become a new nation. Exodus 35, we're going to just read 4 through 9 to start with. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. What's in this contribution? Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goats, hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for the fragrant, fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's go to that Lord in prayer and ask that he would illuminate our hearts and inspire us to great faithfulness by his spirit. God, we are just dust. Like Adam created in the garden, we cannot live unless you breathe your spirit of life into us. This word cannot be effective unless your spirit goes from my words into these brothers and sisters hearts and you enable us to see the world through the lens of Christ. So we pray, God, we pray that you would guide us to faithfulness, that we would have such a vision of the world to come. Eyes set so firmly on Jesus that we would lay it all out before you. And say it's yours. I'm yours. Use me to make Jesus known in this place. For his glory and by his mighty name we pray. Amen. Every year, the tech company Apple releases a new model of their iPhone that they think, they believe will revolutionize how we communicate with one another. They build anticipation for this release of this new product with a live public event that celebrating their accomplishments with this huge party and a presentation telling them about all the features of their new device. And for the following weeks and months, it becomes the talk of the tech world as people anticipate the release date when they can finally get their hands on this wonderful new piece of technology. They're so excited about it that they gather in lines, thousands of people at stores all across the country, some even camping out days before, so they can be the first ones to shell out over a thousand dollars of their hard-earned cash to be the first ones to have this cool new toy. And the rest of us look at that and go, what are they thinking? Such fools! Why is this so important to you? Why waste your time and money 
just to be first in line. It just looks so vain to camp out for a phone. To spend all your time and money just to be the cool kid who has a toy that nobody else has yet. But as I look at these people, I think I'm actually quite inspired by them. From a different perspective, these people are actually the culture makers of our world. They're the early adopters of a new vision of the world. What could be possible? And they're willing to take great risks in order to bring that vision of the world into reality for the rest of us. They don't just want a new phone. They want a culture where everyone has access to this type of technology. If they didn't do it first, you couldn't come along six months later and buy the used version from them. They're the testers, the beta testers who come in and tell these manufacturers what is important to all of us. They're not just buying a product. They're investing in a culture that has yet to become reality. And that is a world that is made reality by their sacrificial eagerness. In many ways, being a member of a church is a very similar experience. Christians have a vision of a world promised to us in Christ. And we're called to live in such a way that we invest everything we can to bring about that reality into the world around us for others. We have promises the world can't see, but we invest our lives to make it available to everybody else. Certainly, they all think we're crazy lining up every Sunday to come and gain access to these promises. To them, it seems so insignificant, but this is how cultures are shaped. As we endeavor on this journey to purchase for ourselves a new building and we label it with cool graphics, rooted, because we want to be rooted for a generational witness in the community. That requires that we talk a bit about money. Money is something we haven't wanted to talk about much as pastors. We don't want to seem self-serving like we're all just trying to pad our own pockets. But by avoiding talking about it, we've also failed to equip you and call you to greater faithfulness with your own finances. We have a lot of money to raise to make this building possible. And I'm so excited, as Jake alluded, there are already marvelous ways that God is working and we can't wait to proclaim them to you. But before we get too deep into talking about money, we've just got to talk about why do we give to the church in the first place? What are we hoping to accomplish with our giving? We're not trying to just get our hands on some cool new gadget or a nice place for us to hang out. What we're really aiming for is to build a community. As Jake said last week, it's a community centered on glorifying and worshiping our crucified and risen King, Jesus. Like Israel, we're being called to give to build the community of Christ. We can see what... The world could be what Christ promises to us. We're called to invest our lives up front to be those culture makers, those early adopters of that world. 
taking a risk to bring that eternal life into reality for those all around us. We are called to give, to build the community of Christ, to shape a more heaven-focused society in, for the future. And so we're going to look at Scripture a little bit, starting in Exodus 35, and see how this has been the call of God's people since the beginning, to build a heaven, heavenly community. So in Exodus 35, right after being rescued from Egypt, God calls through Moses this new people to be generous, to build the community, to build a new nation. And then we're going to dive after that deeper into the law that God gave them and see their responsibility, not just to build the community, but to sustain this community. Giving up front generously isn't the way that this is going to last generations. And finally, we're going to transition to the New Testament and see this amazing thing that happens when Jesus arrives. No longer do we work on building the community in one place, but the gospel calls us to multiply the community to the ends of the earth so all nations can have this witness. All of this is accomplished through your simple, ordinary, faithful, generous service and giving to his people. So let's look back at Exodus 35 and Moses' call to the Israelites to build the community. I'm just going to read it one more time. Verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linens, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for the setting for the ephod. And for the breast piece. A bunch of things that sound a little foreign to us, but they knew what he was talking about. Before we look into what Moses is calling Israel to do, it'd be good just to remember where Israel came from to get to this point. Remember that just days, a couple weeks before this, Israel was doing hard slave labor in Egypt. But God intervened in a mighty way through miraculous signs and wonders in an incredible, dramatic Red Sea rescue, parting the sea, leading them out of Egypt, across the wilderness to the foot of a mountain where God met with his people and gave them his law, his instruction on what kind of community, what kind of nation they were to become. They were to be nothing like those Egyptians that they had left behind. But God was going to dwell with them at the center of their community. Standing, making them stand out among all the nations as a people incredibly blessed. A different kind of people with heavenly priorities. With that Vision cast before their eyes. Moses calls them to give whatever they've got to make this thing happen. In verses 4 and 5, he calls for generosity. It's surprising to hear God call for generosity like this after pulling them out of slavery. 
They don't really have much, do they? God could have just told them, hey, I'm leading you to a land and when you come over the mountain, there's going to be a place with a bunch of piles of wood and some folded up fabric and gold and take all those raw materials and build yourself a tabernacle. Or even more miraculously, this would have been cool to see. He could have said, stand back, watch this. And up from the dust of the ground comes a completely finished and furnished tabernacle for them to worship in. But instead, as has been from the beginning, God has always planned to show off his creative power in the world through his image bearing people. If this is going to be their community, it has to come through their sweat, their tears, their giving and service. David understood this later when he went to build the temple in Jerusalem. Someone wanted to just donate the land completely free to him. And he said, no, I won't sacrifice to God that which cost me nothing. He knows for this community to flourish, the people need to have some skin in the game. You're not going to work to keep it going. Fight to defend it if you don't put everything you have into it yourself. Something that costs you greatly. And so what does he say these people are supposed to give? Well, at this point in history, nations hadn't established systems of currency. They didn't have savings accounts, stocks and bonds. Something called Venmo that you guys do. It's a thing, I guess. Bitcoin. None of that. But they did have gold and silver and bronze in their jewelry and the things they wore on themselves. They had it in their tools and their utensils. They had fabrics, yarns, skins, and animal hairs that they could use, that they used for their own homes. They had oils and spices for their own cooking and lighting that they could use for incense and precious stones for decorations. Everything that God had commanded them to build, he laid out this plan of a tabernacle. And it was all designed based on things that he had already given them. So they were called to be generous with everything they had. They could have kept all of these things for themselves and made their own families a little more comfortable just a little bit longer. Or they could invest them in to build an entire community where God's comfort would be present for all of them for generations. And the first priority of building this community was the tabernacle. It wasn't simply a temple they were building. The tabernacle was to be the center of society. Everything they do as a nation would flow out of this central Focus of their lives at the temple. All of their treasures, their gifts, their skills, they were called to bring those things to the temple, build a tabernacle so God could come down from heaven and dwell right in the midst of their community. And that relationship with him would then inspire them to take those same treasures, gifts, and skills and go build the rest of their culture. It's like a new Garden of Eden. God right there in the middle of it all with His people. But then comes the call, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. 
expand this God-centered community to every place on earth. Your outward calling in the world starts with an inward connection with God and His people that inspires you then to go back out and make Him known. This is the call that Moses is giving them to build the temple first, the tabernacle, as the first part of their new nation. And everybody has to have a part in it. The temple is where priests went and taught the Scriptures, where the Levites led worship. It's the place where the yearly festivals gathered everybody in unity around this community vision. People with ailing health would come to the temple for prayers and anointing and for guidance on how to find healing for themselves. Civil disputes that couldn't be resolved locally with your own countrymen would be brought to the temple to seek God's wise judgments. This is what we're aiming for. To build as a church. Through your generosity. We want a community where the people around us, our neighbors, our co-workers, can see what society could look like. Where people worship together and work together and serve and love each other. All centered on God at the middle of it all. A community of peace and harmony, love and justice, wisdom and generosity. Israel caught this vision through God's miraculous deliverance. And in chapter 6, the very next chapter, Moses records for them how they responded. It says, They received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. After the initial offering, even after that very first offering, they were so inspired by what God was going to do through them that they kept bringing offerings day after day after day. They're so eager to be the first in line for God to use them to introduce this new society into the world. They gave up their treasures to climb aboard this community building project inspired by what God could build through them. But this community wouldn't survive long on just these initial gifts. The people would need to commit further to regular sustained giving in order to sustain the community. To keep it going generation after generation. And this is where the concept of tithing comes in. If you've ever heard that word tithe, it's just a really old word that means tenth. Ten percent. A tithe, giving 10% of your income, is a way of regularly supporting the community that you're a part of. This was founded right in the law. They had to do this. If you want to be part of this community, you must give your tithe. It wasn't just part of the law of Moses. It was actually a common experience in these ancient cultures. We see that in Genesis chapter 14. Early on where it kind of sets the stage for what a relationship with God is going to look like. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. 
And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And how did Abram respond? Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So in this scene... Abram and his family are kind of in a lot of trouble. All these surrounding nations and their kings are allying together to go wipe out Abraham and his budding nation. They don't know what to do. And then this Melchizedek, this really strange guy, mysterious guy, shows up with his powerful army and comes and allies with Abram and they together defeat all these allied nations. When the battle is over, King Melchizedek proclaims a blessing on Abram and Abram turns around and responds by giving 10% of everything to him. It's a way of Abraham saying, thank you. Now I submit myself to your great authority, recognizing you are far more powerful than me. This is really the theme of the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible. Covenants. What does it mean to be in relationship with God? A covenant is where a greater king in his kingdom gives protection to a lesser kingdom. While that smaller nation in return gives its devotion to that greater king. And it makes that devotion quite clear through its income. Giving a portion of its income. A sort of a tax. And so we see the same thing when Israel is rescued by God. God is the greater king, the king of heaven. And he gave salvation, a rescue to the Israelites in exchange for their devotion to him. And so throughout the law, he explains what these tithes are going to look like. What is your income devotion to me going to look like? We think, we think that Often when we read the Bible, hear about the tithe that they just gave 10% as Abraham did. But as you read more of the law, you see they had multiple tithes that required 20, 30% of their income to go towards this flourishing community. First, there was a sacred tithe in Leviticus 27. This required 10% of every family, every household's income to be given to the temple. So, so that the priests could maintain the spiritual heart of the community. The priests didn't have their own land to create their own income. They were utterly dependent upon the faithful tithes of the rest of their nation. But more importantly, it wasn't just to serve their families. It was to free the priests. To be able to keep God on his throne, the king at the center of everything else in the community. If God's presence is not in the temple, is not worshipped, not celebrated regularly at the temple, then everything else in the society falls apart. And so similarly... Our job as leaders of this church is to constantly remind you that gathering around the throne of God, the throne of Christ, is the center of everything else you are called to do. Our income, mine and Jake's anyway, is certainly dependent upon your generosity. But that's not just so we can feed our kids. That's a nice, helpful aspect of it. But it's so that we can be devoted to regularly Reminding you that Christ needs to be at the center. 
Everything in this world, you go out those doors and everything in the world is going to be pulling on you, telling you, put this at the center of your lives. Focus mostly on this, whether it's your career, it's your family, it's something happening in the news or your hobbies or sports. All of it telling you, put me at the center. And so our job is to stand up here louder than all of them and tell you, keep Christ at the center. Gather regularly with His people to force out all those other voices. Or this community will fall apart. And then you respond, as Abraham did to Melchizedek, pledging a portion of your income a way of solidifying that relationship between the kingdom of your own household and the kingdom of Christ, submitting to His provision and protection. But Israel pledged even more than that. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, it introduces another kind of tithe. All of Israel was to set aside another 10% in order to have these yearly festivals in Jerusalem. And this one was a little more self-serving. It allowed you to save up money so you could take off a few weeks of work to go have a party in Jerusalem every year. Seemed like a pretty good idea. Instead of, instead of asking your employer to give you vacation time, you just save up and so you can have it yourself. But it was also a way to allow others who didn't have the means to do that. You don't just bring your own family, but find someone who can't make it to the festivals and bring them along. And the final tithe is a benevolence tithe in Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. He commands every town, every local village to collect 10% of every family's income only every three years and store it all in some center place in the city So that if anyone in the community fell on hard times, that community offering could be tapped in order to prevent that hardship from destroying their lives. And we don't emphasize this much at Redemption, but we do have a benevolence fund that your generous giving has built up. So that if you have issues, if you have problems that crop up in your life, we can help you so that that hardship doesn't destroy you and leave you in despair. All these things were required in the law, not just to uphold some organized religion, but to build and sustain a community of people who flourish together as one family, one family centered on God. And we together fight back against all the pressures and temptations and threats of the world. We care for one another and remind each other to keep our eyes centered on the King. This was the vision of the Old Testament. But they could never accomplish it. They failed at every turn. But something amazing happened to this plan when Jesus arrived. As we've preached many times before, they kept destroying the community, but Jesus came as the only one who was faithful to Live with God in His presence and flourish and be a blessing to others. His own body was the tabernacle. And yet He died. He was destroyed on the cross as though He was a place of false worship. But He rose from the dead in order to build a new temple. His church. 
with Christ as its cornerstone and every one of you as one of the stones in his temple that we keep at the center of our community. Now churches gathering around the world, not just in a place in Jerusalem, but around the world, everywhere where God's people worship King Jesus together, tells the world, Jesus reigns right here in our midst. We are the throne room of Christ. And we're purchasing a building Making a claim, not, not to make a temple, but to make a claim in the lands of this city that King Jesus reigns here in Rochester and we are taking dominion over a little corner of a block in Northwest Rochester as our first step of expanding Christ's community into the world. So when we talk about building and giving to build and sustain Christ's community, though, we're not just thinking about doing that in one location, but we want to give to multiply this community. We want to give abundantly to plant more of these throne rooms of Christ around the city and support missionaries so we can send these throne rooms all over the earth in every nation. You brothers and sisters, you are a church unlike any I've ever experienced before. Because we've emphasized sticking together to worship Jesus. There is a sweet care and love and enthusiasm that we have together. And I want this kind of community to spread all over the world where people on the other side of the world and other side of this city refuse to give up on one another. They stick together no matter the difficulty that they face in order to show their neighbors that Jesus reigns right here in this church and in every tribe and language. We see this heart in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 4 verses 15 to 20. We preached on this last fall, so I won't spend much time on it. Well, let's just look at that text briefly again. Paul says, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you remember from the book of Philippians, you remember Paul's Deep love and affection for this church. Oh, did he have a heart for them. Because they embraced the message of Christ's death and his resurrection. They made it theirs and they knew that this gospel message creates new churches. This message builds and sustains communities of Christ. Communities of believers who have died to themselves and been raised to become part of a new creation society. The Philippians are a living example of what the Israelites were called to be. 
And now it's meant, they see that it's meant to spread from this place to that place and all over to every people, tribe, language, and nation. This fellowship that we enjoy, friends, needs to spread. It needs to multiply because that's the nature of our God. His triune fellowship full of love overflowed to you. And if you were to image him, you are to share that same type of love with his people that overflows into others. And so Paul praises them for funding his missions. First, the Thessalonians, they wanted a church like theirs to flourish in another city. And he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, telling them, you guys, you need to thank the Philippians. The whole reason this church exists is because of the Philippians' generous giving. Beyond their means. That's what allowed Paul to come and cast this gospel community vision before the Corinthians. Paul tells both of these churches, it's not because we require a 10% of your income giving, as in the Old Testament. But God requires a generous heart. One that sees the vision of what is laid before us, what the world could become, and that lays down everything we have in this life in order to bring that vision into reality for everybody else. The Philippians, they had very little money, yet they were like Israel, just out of slavery, called to build a new nation. Or like that iPhone geek who works extra hours and saves up so he can have a thousand dollars to bring this new technology into the world. It's this spirit of generosity that Paul says is a fragrant offering to God, satisfying to his senses, an acceptable and pleasing sacrifice. This is all temple language applied to the church. This is how God has chosen to be glorified in Christ. You, brothers and sisters, a people bonding together to build each other up as to into a Christ-centered community. That overflows and multiplies to other neighborhoods. And if you're tempted to wonder, oh, Pastor Adam, you're asking me to give up everything. How am I going to survive? Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? We're in a covenant relationship with God, the king of the universe. In exchange for our devotion to Him, He promises to pour out His abundant provision and protection on us. When we lay ourselves out there at great cost to our own comfort, He provides His Spirit in the community to be our comforter. When we take a great risk to our safety or our prosperity in order that Jesus would be seen on His throne among us, God delights to answer that faithfulness with unity and community care and multiplying fruitfulness. A fruit that he turns around and credits to you. Incredible. God loves to take your ordinary gifts and sacrifices, multiply them for his glory, and then turn them around and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You get the rewards for this great work. Inspired by this, Jake and I have been working our tails off for the last weeks and months to put before you this amazing opportunity for God to show off His provision. 
And He is doing the work through you. It's such a joy to watch. And He's not just providing for a building. He's providing for us to build, sustain, and multiply this kind of community in Christ. We work hard so you can reap the rewards. So the fruit will be credited to your account. God's doing the work and through this campaign, we're just saying to you, calling to you, will you lay down your life? Will you lay everything before Him and say, I want to be part of this great work of God showing off. There's no law anymore to give 10%. That says, if you want to be part of this church, you have to give 10% and we're going to go through the rolls and make sure that... No. We just want to see you be generous. The New Testament call is generosity. Give all you can that makes you so dependent upon God that He must come through or you're in a lot of trouble. Because He will come through. Give so much that you will work dependent upon His Spirit to make it happen. And you'll burst forth in praise when He does provide. I know some of you are already thinking like the Israelites. What do I have that I can just sell and make money and give to this project? How can I pick up extra side jobs, a roofing project? Great idea. So that we can work together to get more money for this project. God is going to honor that eagerness with fruit of sweeter community and multiplying gospel witness. Others of you have determined to set a percentage of your giving to maintain this effort long into the future. Like the tithe. Maybe you've already determined to give 10% and now you're thinking, I want to see this last longer than just this summer. So I'm going to give even more, maybe 20% of my income. Or some of you haven't been giving much at all and you're feeling like, I want to get going. How do I do that? Maybe you just aim for 10% as kind of training wheels to get you in the habit of making giving, surrendering your treasures to God as part of your weekly worship experience. A weekly, monthly way of submitting to a greater king who promises to provide for you. Finally, none of us can settle on just making this community more comfortable. We all need to be challenged like the Philippians to give beyond our means so that this gospel created community can multiply to other parts of this city and to every nation on earth. So we can more abundantly support Joe and Patrick and Grace City Church and many of you that we can send you out to start new churches here and around the world. Jesus is not just laying for us a building opportunity, brothers and sisters, but a vision of a flourishing community for generations to come. And ultimately, a vision of a new creation where His people fill the earth. And that may seem so far off. It may look foolish to the rest of the world when you give your treasures to see that brought into reality. But that world, your gifts now, your sacrifices today are an investment in that world to bring it here into this life and it is guaranteed to succeed by the blood of Jesus and His resurrection. Now in Christ, by His Spirit, you, every one of you, gets to be those 
culture shapers, those early adopters whose enthusiastic generosity brings all those heavenly promises to life for everybody else in this world. Let's be that generous people who give to build the community of Christ. And may God reward your faithfulness with greater confidence in his promises to come. Let's pray. God, so many times we feel like that man who was walking through a field and just stumbled upon a treasure buried in the field. We didn't find it. We didn't even want to seek it out. It wasn't ours. You revealed it to us. And now you're calling us to sell everything, to give up our lives and invest in buying that land that will fill the earth where the treasures will never run out, where the joy and peace are abundant. And I pray that you would work through us, provide for us, protect us, that we could bring that picture of heaven into the world around us. That in Rochester, many people would come to know Christ because we see His promises more worthy than anything we could accomplish in this, world, in this life. God, glorify Yourself through all these gifts, through all this service. Satisfy our hearts for the glory of King Jesus. Amen.